0: Alright, well again, good morning. Man, what a gorgeous morning. It is great to to be here with you either in person or online. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here at Coinos. And uh, if you know me at all, it will not surprise you that we're going to start off talking about basketball. Um, So it is a uh, playoff season, and so I don't know about you. In fact, probably not true for you. But for me, that means a lot of kind of being in Uh, thinking about basketball mode Uh, and this morning as we're kind of continuing our series I'm thinking about last week's or I'm sorry last year's finals champions uh, the Toronto Raptors Uh, Toronto beat uh, Golden State in six games and if you've ever seen someone uh, a team after they've won the championship there's it's pretty celebratory right you've been working towards this all year, maybe your entire career, and it kind of culminates in this one moment. So it's this kind of euphoric celebration, and, and lots of people come out, not just players. Well, there was this moment last year during the celebration after, uh, after the Raptors won, and it involved their president of basketball operations. His name is Masai Ujiri. Now, Ujiri is a Nigerian born uh, former pro basketball player had kind of you know kind of a a normal career actually wasn't a great player but he really worked his way up through the the executive level in basketball operation Uh, he won the uh nba executive of the year award as the general manager of the nuggets in 2013 then moved to be with the raptors and again led them to the championship last year as their president of operation now i say all that to say this is not some kind of random guy. This is the president of basketball operations. He's kind of known, a known figure. Well, as they are celebrating, as they're preparing and, and kind of celebrating the, the, the win last year, uh, Ujuri made his way down to the court. Of course, he wants to celebrate with his players. Now, it's kind of a wild scene, and there are secure, there's security surrounding the court. As Ujuri kind of approaches, he goes to reach in for his ID to show the, the sheriff's deputy who's kind of guarding the entrance to the court. But before he can say anything, the deputy, not realizing who it is... The train. Not realizing who it is, the deputy shoves your jury back. And this is all caught on film, of course, because everything's caught on film anymore. And your jury is kind of, of course, stunned... And he goes towards the sheriff's deputy to explain, this is who I am, this is what's going on, and the sheriff shoves him again. At this point, your jury shoves the the deputy back, and things are getting really heated. You can see in the video, kind of fans are are kind of trying to kind of stick their arms out and and separate them and, and tell the deputy what's going on. Eventually, Kyle Lowry, who's the starting guard for the Raptors, sees what's happening, and as he's out celebrating on the floor, he kind of sees uh, Ujiri and what's going on, and so he rushes over, puts an arm around him, kind of pushes back, doesn't physically push, but kind of lets the deputy know, hey, he's with me, and invites him out onto the court to celebrate. It's this kind of almost tragic and strange moment where the very person that the the sheriff's deputy is supposed to be kind of protecting by standing there and guarding the court, right? They're supposed to be protecting the the team and and those associated with the team from everyone else. The very person he's supposed to be protecting, he doesn't recognize. And so he ends up attacking in, in a way that even leads to literal violence. Well, this week, we are in week four of our series primary, where we're talking about what it means to be followers of Jesus in this moment with all of the, the angst and energy around politics. And this week, we're talking about civility, this idea of being civil. And, and particularly this morning, I want to focus on uh, civility as it pertains to how we use our language, how we speak to one another and with one another. And I mean, if we're honest, we kind of have to admit that civility is not a word that we would typically use to describe how conversation happens politically in this moment. Uh, our political leaders don't, ex- don't especially model civil conversation with us. In fact, if, if we were to be honest, uh, you know, the bar for civil discourse in politics has not only been set low, the, the hole has been dug and the pole has been buried. Like, there's no bar, right? There's just, there's zero civility. But, you know, we don't want to too quickly point fingers because we happily jump on board. You know, whether it's uh, in person with people we disagree with or more likely on social media where we feel like there's some sense of anonymity, we kind of, we pile on. We join the the us versus them, the personal attacks, even in some cases, the lying. We gladly find our side and, and choose our language and use it as weapons against the enemy. But in doing so, my fear is that we, like the sheriff's deputy in this situation with your jury, we end up attacking the people we're actually supposed to be for. The word civility comes from the Latin word civilis, meaning relating to citizens. And the idea here is that there is a particular way in which citizens of an empire or a kingdom ought to act that would set them apart as citizens of that country, of that empire, of that kingdom. And last week we talked about this idea that for those of us who trust in Christ, who are, are following in the way of Jesus, we are primarily citizens of a different kingdom. That our, our primary allegiance is our citizenship to the kingdom of God. And if that's the case, then I think it begs the question: how should our relang- how should our language reflect? that reality. How does our language reflect our citizenship? So the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, addresses this. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Paul says this, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work, and then give, give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So there's a lot we could unpack in this passage. There's a lot here. Uh, But I kind of want to focus on what I think is the crux of Paul's argument, and that's what we say comes from who we are. The words that we use, the way that we engage with one another flows out of who we are. The way Paul says it, he he begins this conversation or, or this injunction for people to speak and act in a certain way by saying, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. So it's not just, here's all the actions you ought to do. It's You need to become a different kind of person. You need to allow the Spirit to shape you in new ways so that the way you speak, the way you act, will flow from who you are. Or as Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say comes out of who we are. We can't speak what's good or true or encouraging or kind or helpful if we're not becoming the kind of people who are increasingly good and truthful and kind. Speaking civilly begins with first being civilized by the Spirit, with being people who are shaped to increasingly reflect the character of Christ, people who are more like Jesus. Without that work, we are destined to increasingly Fall into the the dualistic, divisive nature of our culture, of the world around us. Increasingly seeing people in terms of us and them, who's on our team and who's on the other team, and how do we make sure that our people win? But like we talked about last week, our kingdom, the kingdom of God, is one in which our king dies for the, the salvation, the healing, the wholeness of all people, not just. Our people. Jesus is Lord of all, not just us. And so, as citizens of this kingdom, we are people who live for all people, not just our people. And our language needs to reflect that. Otherwise, again, just like the the deputy sheriff in this story with your jury, we become people who unwittingly are attacking those that we are supposed to be for, that we are called to be for, that in fact our king has died for. And if our king has died for them, then we need to live for them. And this is our call as followers of Christ. Another way to think about it is, if you remember, there's this thing called the golden rule. That, I mean, that, that phrase isn't exactly in the Bible, but Jesus is the one who said it. He said, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. That's not something other than how we speak. That includes how we speak. Our language needs to be spoken to others the way that we want others to speak to us. We need to engage with people how we want them to engage with us. This is what it means to be citizens of a different kingdom and to live civilly out of that place. Now, I'm already anticipating some of the the pushback, especially for people who might be more familiar with the the Jesus story. Um, Jesus, after all, called people names, now, if that's news to you, um, you might be like, what? Jesus called people? He did, actually. Um, so there's a couple of different places we could point to, but uh, the one I might direct you to is out of uh, Luke chapter 13. Jesus tends to only, you know, he saves some of his harshest, harshest language for the religious leaders, uh, but on this occasion, he also pulls in uh, one of the political leaders. Uh, so uh, in, if you look at Luke chapter 13, there's this scene where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day is a religious holiday where the, the, the Jewish religious leaders saw this as critical to people honoring God, was respecting the Sabbath and not working on the Sabbath. And so Jesus heals a woman who's crippled on the Sabbath day. And the response of the religious leaders is like, whoa, Jesus, you, you can't do that. This is a special day. It's God's day. Heal her some other day. And so Jesus responds by calling them hypocrites which is this word that means play actors, right? It means people who are pretending to be something, but that they are not. Jesus uses that word to religious people whose job it is to shepherd people to know what God is like, to understand, to encounter the true and living God that Jesus is revealing. And Jesus recognizes that what they're really trying to do is get people to live into a religious system. They're not actually shepherding people to know God. They're playing a part that's not true, and so he calls them hypocrites. Later in this chapter, uh, Jesus actually calls Herod, who is the king. He calls him a fox. Now, culturally relevant, yeah, if someone called you a fox, you might be like, "Thanks." Um, <laughs> not exactly what's going on here, Fox, is actually a negative term. So Jesus calls Herod a fox. But what's helpful to know is that soon after he calls him a fox, in fact, just a couple lines later, he describes himself as he's mourning over the state of the city of Jerusalem. He describes himself as a hen who would want to come and gather Jerusalem under her wings. Foxes eat hens. Herod is getting ready to participate in the crucifixion of Jesus. And so in both of these situations, Jesus is calling them names, certainly. But what these names are is they're essentially parables that reveal some deeper truth about what's going on. So sometimes when Jesus speaks what's true, it comes across as harsh, because what's happening is actually difficult. But he's not just calling people names. It's not, he's, not just, like, he's not making fun of the religious leaders or Herod. He's not calling them idiots or morons. He's not dismissing them with his language. But he's rather speaking something that's true. And he's using language that that reveals something deeper that we might otherwise miss. Jesus' harsh language reflects his love. His love that desires people to live in the truth, even when it's difficult. And so I think speaking civilly for Christians is not just being nice. Now, being nice is good. You should be nice. But it's not simply be nice. It's not just say nice things don't make people uncomfortable. If, if speaking civilly for followers of Jesus is about increasingly becoming people who speak like Jesus, then it means being willing to say things that are true, even when they're uncomfortable, because our desire is to love people well. And if you really love people, you know that sometimes you have to say things that are difficult for them to hear, but you work to do so in a way that actually wins them and doesn't destroy them. So often the way that we wield our language is about winning battles. It's about beating people who we feel threatened by or want to see ourselves as better than. That's not love. Love might move us to say something that's difficult, but it's only to win the person that we that we're talking to. This is the way that Jesus uses language, even when it's harsh. And this is what it means to be people who are living in the way of Jesus. We're seeking to live for even our enemy. And we're using our language in a way that calls people to truth out of love. And so if that's uncomfortable, sure, sometimes it needs to be uncomfortable. But it's because we love them, not because we're trying to beat them. Or as Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 4, a little bit earlier than the passage we read, 4.15, he says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. That is our desire, to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, because we know that what we say flows from who we are. Our words flow from our heart. It reflects the status of our heart. And so we want to be people who are increasingly becoming like Christ so that our words reflect Him. Now, this doesn't happen by accident. It has to be intentional. You know, Paul talks about putting on the new nature and what we say that the sta- the state of our heart is very much so a reflection of our habits what we habitually do shapes who we are and for many of us our habits have become skewed right like our habits are are not shaping our hearts in ways that drive us towards loving Christ like character our habits tend to drive us more towards these divisive us versus them dualisms that kind of are more characteristic of our culture than they are of Christ. So we need to be people who are intentionally developing habits that shape our hearts towards the character of Jesus, so that what we say flows from our hearts, and our hearts reflect the character of Christ. So... As we bring this to a close, I'm going to invite uh, Laura and Todd to come back up and lead us in a final song. But I want to invite you to to consider a a new habit for this week. A habit that we could begin to practice together that I think will fundamentally shape our hearts in really different ways. And it's super easy and I would guarantee that most of you never even think about it because I'll be honest, I'm a pastor, right? Like I, I I get paid to read this thing and I hardly, when I thought about this this morning, I'm like, when was the last time I did that? Here's the habit. Ready? Begin, starting today, to pray for your enemies. To pray for your political enemies. When you read that headline, when you get that notification on your phone that tells you about the thing that's happening that makes your blood boil, stop, put your phone down, and pray. And, you know, pray for them like you would want people to pray for you. Pray that they might come to know how deeply they are loved by God and to live out of this place of love in a way that brings wholeness and justice and and grace and mercy in the lives of the people they interact with. Pray that the decisions they make would reflect the character of Christ. Pray for the people who make you angry. It's really hard. You know, when you pray for people, and you pray for them in a way that holds out hope for them to move towards the character of Christ, it's really hard to hate them. You can't, you can't hold hope and hate at the same time. And if we made a conscious decision of regularly praying for the people who we tend to hate, we would soon learn that we no longer, we, we would soon, I think, get to a point where we no longer hate anyone. Or instead, we find ourselves, we might be grieved, there still might be things that people do that grieve us, and we still might need to say things that are true, that feel harsh, but they're not about taking cheap shots or defeating people that we want to kind of stand in victory over, but it's about speaking the truth in love, in every way becoming more and more like Christ. So my hope and prayer for us is that we could become people who learn to pray for our enemies, and that as we do that, that our hearts would become more like christ and our language would reflect who he is and we would sound like citizens of a different kingdom let me pray for us and then we're gonna Ooh, what great timing right all right let me pray for us and then we're gonna sing a song together father We, uh, we confess, I confess, that my language is often about defeating my, my, uh, my enemies, defeating the people who I, I perceive as enemies. And in so doing, I, like this, like this uh, sheriff's deputy and you jury, I end up kind of lashing out against people that I'm supposed to be for. And I think that's true for a lot of us would you would you be at work by your spirit in shaping our hearts so that we can learn to love who you love and move past these superficial and sinful dualisms of us and them and begin to understand the depth of your love for all people and to live and to speak in ways that reflect your love not just for our people but for all people teach us to pray for our enemies teach us to speak what's true to be willing to move beyond just being nice to speak what's actually true but to speak what's true in a way that is rooted in love and that works for the good of all people may our language be civil may it reflect our allegiance to a different kingdom in the name of that King, we pray. Amen.